And we're beginning a series called Asking for a Friend. This is a series that we're going to spend uh, this time together, this, the next seven weeks, uh, turning our attention to Jesus and uh, some of the biggest questions in life, some of the biggest questions of faith. And, and we're going to really wrestle with some of those questions honestly. Uh, we're going to do this during the se- season of Lent. So Lent is the next seven weeks. It's a time in the Christian calendar that traditionally uh, people have uh, worked to, to spend some more focused time in prayer. Uh, they've worked to spend a little bit focused time in fasting, which means they're giving up something so that they could focus more on God. So whether that's food or a kind of food, um, TV, media, uh, people fast a lot of different things, and it helps them focus more on, on who God is. And generosity. Traditionally, if, if you've been in a more liturgical setting, uh, part of it was almsgiving, so giving to those who are in need. This is the season of Lent. It's 40 days plus Sundays. And here's the deal. If we are able to focus our attention more during these next 40 days, I believe we will celebrate Easter in a whole new way. We will come to understand the beauty of what God did through Jesus. Now, some of you are here today and you're like, I don't even know what I believe about Jesus. I mean, maybe he was a real person who lived a couple thousand years ago, and I want you to know that you're in a great place for that conversation and to explore who Jesus was. So that's what we're going to do over the next uh, couple of of weeks, seven weeks. And I want to begin with a saying from Jesus, and I think this is something we all could use. And here's what he says. He says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest for your soul. Have you ever found yourself in a place where you needed a little bit of rest for your soul? And and I don't know if you've been uh, alive over the last three years But we all need something for our soul, don't we? And Jesus is offering this idea. It's something that we have that he said, that he said, hey, if you'll just come to me and rest in me, I'll give you something down deep inside um, that you can't find anywhere else. I'm gonna give you some rest for your soul. And we wanna lean into that over the next seven weeks. So I'm gonna invite you on that journey. Uh, A couple quick things, uh, and then we'll, we'll get running for today. We have a question every week we're going to tackle, so uh, we'll we'll get running for the question of the day. Uh, First thing is uh, is called My One, and we've done this for a couple of years now, and maybe you know someone who has not yet discovered the love that God has for them. And so we would encourage you over the next 40 days to be praying specifically for that one person, or maybe you have two or three people. And out in the lobby, we have, there's a plexiglass in the middle of the lobby, and it just simply says, my one. And maybe you want to write their name. And the reason we encourage you to do that is because our team is going to be praying over all those names over the next 40 days. So if you have someone you want to pray for, um, just write their name on there. We'll be praying for them. Some of you are like, I need prayer. Can I write my own name? Absolutely. Write your own name. We'll be praying specifically for you as well. But a lot of people after the first service began to write names. So write someone's name. Second thing that we're doing a little bit differently this year is we're beginning a Wednesday night journey uh, and, it, and it's built around a curriculum called Alpha. Alpha is a, a series of classes that began in London with a guy named Nicky Gumbel. I'm gonna show you a video. I'm gonna introduce you to Nicky here in just a second. And uh, on Wednesday nights, what we're gonna do is we're gonna have some time together I think we have about 70 people registered now. So Wednesday nights, if you don't have a small group or a Bible study, I'd invite you to be a part of it. 
Uh, we're gonna watch the video from Nikki Gumbel, and then at tables in a smaller group, we're just gonna wrestle with some of those real questions, honest questions, doubts, and beliefs, and, and all of that that we have, and, and it's gonna be a real safe environment. So if you have any interest in digging deeper in what we do on Sunday morning, Wednesday might be an, a great next step for you, just for the next seven weeks. Now, I had a couple people stop me after the first service, and they said, hey, if I sign up, I feel like I'm committed. And I was like, yeah, that's what registration is. <laughs> and he said, but what if I have to miss like a week or two? And I'm like, it's fine. Like, I'm going to have to miss one or two weeks, but Robin and I are still going to be a part of it. So even if you have to miss a couple of weeks, it's fine. Join us. It's going to be a great journey. Alpha tackles some of the biggest questions in life. And week one is this question, is there more to life than this? And what I want to do is I want to introduce you to Nikki. Here's the deal. After you hear Nikki speak, um, you're like, his, he, he has a British accent, and he just sounds so smart. <laughs> and I kind of want to speak in that accent the rest of the day, so you'll think I'm smarter than I am. Um, but he's brilliant. You have to lean in a little bit to hear what he's saying. He tells a little bit of his story. But really, he sets up the question really well for us, is there more to life than this? So this is Nikki Gumbel, and this is the curriculum we're going to be walking through on Wednesdays. For much of my life, I was not remotely interested in Christianity. In fact, I don't think I'd ever come to something like Alpha. I was not brought up as a Christian. My father was a secular Jew. He was an agnostic. And my mother didn't go to church. Uh, and I had no interest at all in Christianity. First of all, I just thought it was so boring. Everything to me about church, Christianity, religion was just dull and dreary, and it kind of made me feel a little bit guilty. I didn't know why, but I just didn't want to have anything to do with it. And I also thought it was untrue. I, I thought I'd sort of thought it through, and uh, I'd come up with these intellectual objections, and I called myself, very pretentiously, I called myself a logical determinist. And I quite enjoyed arguing with people who called themselves Christians. And at university, I had a bit of a reputation for being an argumentative atheist. And I also thought it was irrelevant to my life. I couldn't see how someone who'd lived 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, could have any relevance to my life today. It just seemed outdated and irrelevant. But at the same time, looking back now, I would say something was missing. I say that because I don't think I was living in the moment. I was always looking forward to the next thing in life. So when I was at school, I was thinking, when I finish my exams, maybe that will be when I'm going to really start to enjoy life. I finished my exams, and then after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And I thought, well, maybe when I've left school, that will be what life's all about. And then I left school, and after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. I thought, well, maybe the answer is to get a girlfriend. And somehow, I don't know how I managed it, but I managed to find a girlfriend. Again, after about three weeks, I started to think, there's got to be more to life than this. And, and basically, there was something missing. I was longing for more. The actor Jim Carrey once said, I wish everyone could get rich and famous and have everything they've ever dreamed of, so they would know that's not the answer. Some people dream of having their name in lights, of fame and fortune. Some people dream of finding happiness through relationships, careers, money, whatever it may be. But do you ever get that niggly feeling that 
as good as those things are, there must be more to life. Yeah, all too often life just doesn't turn out the way we think it should. And even when it does and we achieve our wildest dreams, it's somehow never quite enough. It just doesn't satisfy. It's like there's something missing. The comedian and actor Russell Brand said, drugs and alcohol are not my problem. Reality is my problem. Drugs and alcohol are my solution to fill up a hole inside me. And Jesus said, I am the bread of life. In other words, I'm the one who fulfills the longing that's deep inside every human heart. Jesus claimed to be the one person who can satisfy that spiritual hunger. Freddie Mercury, the lead singer of the rock group Queen, had amassed a huge fortune and attracted millions of fans. But he admitted in an interview shortly before his death that he was desperately lonely. He said this, you can have everything in the world and still be the loneliest man, and that's the most bitter type of loneliness. Success has brought me world idolization and millions of pounds, but it's prevented me from having the one thing we all need, a loving, ongoing relationship. Interesting. Um, my guess is, uh, if I ask the question, have, it, have you ever found yourself thinking, when I get to the next stage of life, then I'll be at peace? When, when I get through school, you know, so many kids think when I get out of high school and I get to college, like college is like the best time of your life. And so once I get to college, then I'll finally experience all that God wanted me to experience. And then what you find is when you get to be a junior and a senior, you begin to think, oh, maybe when I start real life and I get a job, then I'll experience the fullness of life. And as Nikki said, you run into that moment where you're like, there's got to be more to life than just that. And this happens all throughout life. You know, you think to yourself, maybe when I meet the right one, the one for me, then I'll finally be complete. You complete me. There's just something about that line. <laughs> Stop, you had me at hello. <laughs> I don't know where these things come from. They just like <laughs> pop in my head every now and then. Um, but but you, you, you find the one, you, you enter into marriage and you still have that feeling of, is, is this it? Is, is there more? As, as good as that relationship is and as wonderful as that person is, um, is there more to life? Is there, is there something more here? And then you begin to think, well, once I achieve a certain level at my profession or my job or when I get a certain number of followers or, or when I have that toy or that second house, then it'll finally be fulfilling. I'll, I'll finally be filled, and we find that none of that fills that deep longing that's within each one of us. And what's interesting about it is that every human being at some point runs into this moment of, is there more than this? Uh, the Russell Brand quote really caught me. Do you know Russell Brand, uh, actor, uh, crazy hair, crazy guy? Um, when he said this, drugs and alcohol are not my problem, reality is my problem, drugs and alcohol are just the solution to fill up the hole that's within me. Have you ever found yourself doing that? Like working to fill something deep within you or numb whatever pain is there. Reality is the problem. It's how do, we, how do we find the solutions to that deep desire, that deep longing that, that's within each one of us. And Alpha begins the conversation that moves us there. So I want to take us on a little journey today. And it's, we're going to jump around a little bit, but stay with me. I promise we're going to land the plane at some point. We actually ended early in the first service, so maybe we'll do that again. Okay, so here we go. Um, I wrote this down, and I thought, uh, I, I believe this to be true. I want to see if, if you believe it to be true as well. Every worldview, theistic or not, in other words, whether it involves a God or not, um, 
every worldview requires an element of faith. So I want you to think about this for a second. No matter what you live your life based on, the worldview that you have, the thoughts that you have of both the present reality but also what's next at death, if death is the end, what's interesting about that is every worldview requires a significant element of faith. You know, we really don't have any evidence of anything beyond death that we can solidly build our lives on and say, no, 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 I know without a shadow of a doubt this. So every, every worldview, every worldview requires some element of faith. So the question becomes, what is my faith placed in or who is my faith placed in? And that's the most important question. What is it that I'm building my life on? Now, some of us might say, I'm building my life on the idea, the concept that what you see is all that exists. What's interesting about that is people who have walked that path usually get to the end of their life and they have significant questions and regrets about what they gave up to pursue that life. Does that make sense? That, that if, if we live our life based on the idea that, that what you see is what you get, there's nothing more, there's usually regrets that come. Now here, when I talk about faith, here's what I'm talking about. Uh, it's a complete trust or confidence in someone or something, a, a strongly held belief or theory. So it's this idea that we're leaning into. For example, I know that this platform was, was built using concrete. It's solid concrete, and I can sit on it, and when I sit on it, I can put my full weight here because I trust, I have faith, that what I can't see underneath here will support my weight. Does that make sense? So faith is that concept that I'm building my life, I'm putting my trust, I'm leaning my weight, my belief, into something that I can't prove to be true. That's what faith is. It's a strongly held belief or theory. Uh, Tom Keller, who's a pastor in New York, brilliant mind, he says this, it is not the strength of your faith, but the object of your faith that actually saves you. And some of us believe, we, we begin to think that it's, 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 my, um, it's my absolute confidence in this that actually is what gives me strength. It's the best foundation. What Tim Keller is suggesting, that it's not the strength of your faith. Strong faith in a weak branch is fatally inferior to weak faith in a strong branch. Does that make sense? It's an interesting thought, and, and, it, and it moves us to consider what is it that I'm building my life on or building my life around. So back to the original question. Do you find this to be true, that every worldview, theistic or not, requires an element of faith? Do you believe that to be true? Now, you don't have to answer that out loud. Some of you might question it. You might want to send me an email, uh, joe at mcdowell.church. And um, no, matt at mcdowell.church. Feel free to email me. Um, do you believe that to be true? And if you do, then what's important is that you have a good sense of what it is that you're placing your faith in for your life. It's, it's important to wrestle with what is that. Now, uh, I told you I'm gonna jump around. Here's one of those moments I'm gonna jump around. I was thinking about what makes us human. And here's what I came up with. So as humans, we are very personal beings and we're relational. We have this relational drive in us. I did this in the first service, it was really interesting. I know you're probably not gonna raise your hand very high, but 
I want, I want to see how many introverts we have in the room. So if you're an introvert, would you raise your hand? I know it's tough. Some of you are like, can you see this, Matt? Um, yeah, some of you are like halfway, like I don't want people to see me. But yeah, what's, what's interesting is um, many of us are introverts. I lean on the introverted scale uh, more than I'm extroverted. Most people don't believe that to be true because of what I do. But I, I lean introverted. And what's, what's interesting about that is that even the most introverted among us have a deep need to relate with other people. Not all the time. We want to keep our distance. We want them to leave us alone, but we have a deep relational need. And not just that, we, we have this yearning to love and be loved. We, we want to love someone. We want to be loved by someone. We just don't want them to talk all the time <laughs> and be around. You know what I mean? Now, the extroverted, they would be on the other end of the spectrum where they, love to, they, they, they have this yearning to love and be loved. They want to be vocal about it. They want to talk about it. They want to talk about their feelings all the time, in all moments. Um, but this is what makes us human. We're different, but as humans, most, we're, we're self-aware people, um, some more than others. And we're, we're rational. We have an ability to use our minds and make clear decisions, sometimes based on the evidence given to us. We have this yearning, like I said, to love and be loved. And we have this longing for meaning and purpose. So many times, uh, as you cross that 40, 45, 50 age, uh, that mark of age, you begin to wonder, will my life had made any difference? I don't want to get to the end of my life and, and think or, or find that it's been a waste. Like, I want to have some sort of contribution to something. N.T. Wright, and sometimes I have to read N.T. Wright like 10 times. He's, he's just so smart and brilliant. He says this, how does it happen that on the one hand, we all share not just a sense that, are, that, that there is such a thing as justice, but a passion for it, a deep longing that things should be put to right, that at some level, every single one of us, when we see things that are not just, we have this deep longing to see them be made right. Does that make sense? That's, that's what he's saying. The, the, a sense of out of jointedness that goes on nagging and gnawing and sometimes screaming at us. And yet, on the other hand, after millennia of human struggle and searching and love and longing and hating and hope and fussing and philosophizing, we can't seem to get much closer to it than people did in the most ancient societies that we can discover. How is it that there is something within each of us, this, this gap within each of us, that when we see something that's not right, we think it should be put back together? What is that that's a part of human nature, a part of our journey? Um, Ecclesiastes is this book in the Old Testament, and it's an interesting book. There's a couple different things going on. Sometimes you have to slow down and say, who's talking? Because there's a narrator, and then there's a wise man who's kind of walking through some things. And um, it's really depressing if you just read the first couple lines of Ecclesiastes. This is how he starts the whole book. I mean, this is it. Everything is meaningless. And in case you don't understand, completely meaningless. Isn't that a great way to start? I mean, this is kind of how he starts his, his walking out. And what he's saying is that everything under the sun, the things that we can touch and feel, and like the tangible, the things that we're normally working so hard to fill our lives with, all of that is meaningless. And he goes on, and you get to verse 8, and this, I, I relate to this so much. He says this, no matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, we are not content. Oh my gosh. 
I'm, I'm a one on the Enneagram. Uh, I'm a type A personality. Pray for my wife. It drives her crazy. I, I have this tendency to always be looking at how we can make things better. Any other like people in the room that are like that? Any other ones? Yeah, we're like the most hated of all people. I know. Nobody likes us. We get it. There's this, there's this longing like to always be working to make everything right. And when I read a passage of scripture like this, I just, I relate to it so much that no matter what I see, I'm just never satisfied. And no matter how much I hear, I'm just not content. I'm looking, like we, so many of us just continue to look for more and more and more. What is that? And what, um, ding, what, that was perfect timing. I don't know who that was, but that was awesome. What Alpha moves us towards and what it begins to, to present as a potential uh, answer to that question is that, that God has placed within each one of us eternity and what many refer to as a, as a God-shaped hole that can only be satisfied by God himself. And that there is this longing, that the, the question of what is that that we all share as humans, no matter what culture you're from, what is that is, is this thing that God has put inside of us, this, this void or this gap. Um, Peterson, uh, when he's talking about the book of Ecclesiastes, he says Ecclesiastes is this rejection of every arrogant and ignorant expectation that we can live our lives by ourselves on our own terms. It's this move to help us understand that, that we, in and of ourselves, cannot do it on our own, and we're not enough. I mean, that sounds depressing. Aren't you glad you came to church? <laughs> hey, I, I'm here this morning to tell you you're not enough. <laughs> I don't need to tell you that. You know it. And it's arrogant of us to believe that we are enough. And that's what we run into when we begin to believe that we're enough, we can figure it out because we need, number one, each other, but we also need something beyond us that fills that gap that we all have in life. And so that in chapter three, verse 11, when he says, God has planted eternity in the human heart, this God-shaped hole, that is what draws us. That's that, when, um, when Nikki said that he found church boring, um, don't send me that email. Um, when he said he found church boring, but he also felt a bit of guilt, what he called guilt, that's how he, he worded it. I think what he's saying is that when he was in that environment where there was conversation about faith in God, he felt a gap in his life. There was something missing. And he didn't know how to express that. Um, and, and, and I'm reading into that a little bit. But Christianity, when, when we begin to wrestle with, is there more to life than this? Christianity says, yes, there is more to life. Basically, Christianity is saying, the God of the universe created everything that you see, including you. And he actually created you as a reflection of him. And he deeply, has, he has a deep desire to be in relationship with us as his creation. Like he calls us sons and daughters. And so the Jesus piece of our faith, of, of the Christian faith, is that Jesus is the relational connection between us and God. 
that he's the visible image of the invisible God. And at, at the pinnacle of the picture of Jesus is his sacrificial love made known on the cross. That Jesus willingly gave his life as a sacrifice so that we might understand what true love is. Sacrificial, compassionate, others-focused. And it's through Jesus, um, Christianity says, that we connect with our Heavenly Father once again. It meets that deep relational need that we are not alone and there is more than you can see that exists. That's Christianity. That that void in our life, the very thing that we're looking to fill, can only be filled by the love of God, which was made known in the person of Jesus. That's Christianity. A couple quotes from Jesus And I think you'll see how these kind of fit into that that stream of thinking. Jesus said, he talks about a thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And he's giving us this picture of of, uh, someone, an enemy who wants to ruin our lives. And he says, but my purpose, what Jesus came to do, is not to destroy your life. He actually came to give us a full and satisfying life. And that idea of full life is the whole picture of filling a gap or a void that each one of us has. That's what Jesus said he came to do, is to give us this full and satisfying life that we can't find anywhere else. He goes on to say, um, I'm the bread of life. The video, you know, uh, commented on this. I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty again. It's this idea that all that we're searching for And we work to do this through relationships, through achievements, through material goods, through fame, like through alcohol, through drugs, like all of this that we're working to fill our lives with. Jesus presents the idea that he's the only thing that can really fill your deepest desire. And that's the good news of Christianity, is that you just can't do it on your own, but you don't have to, because it's been done. I love that thought. And I love the, yeah, I love the invitation that comes with that. Um, so, so what I want to do, um, and, and if you want to dig deeper into that, we're going to do that on Wednesday nights, as I said. Um, what I want to do is I want to each week give us a prayer that maybe could frame our thinking throughout the week. And you can snap a picture of this prayer, or you can write it down, or you can try to memorize it real quick. Um, but I wonder what it would be like to pray this each day of the week. And here's the prayer for this week. God, if you are real, make yourself real to me. Help me to know that you are what is missing in my life. God, if you're real, make yourself real to me. And help me to know that you are what's missing in my life. And, you know, Scripture says this, and I believe it to be true. I've seen this. Um, It it says that if we will honestly seek after God, we will find him. Here's the beauty. God's not hiding. He's not hiding from you. He's not hiding from me. In fact, he's actually pursuing us. And when we turn around and, like, uh, that, the word that Jesus uses is repent, which literally means when we turn around and we seek him and kind of turn our back on all the things that we normally try to fill our lives with, when we, when we don't rely on those things, that we find in God what we can't find over here. And that he is there, like welcoming us home again and again and again. So maybe this is a prayer that you, you pray each and every day. Now, I've, I've found in my life, um, you know, I was baptized in 1982. I remember... Uh, kind of my claim of following Jesus 
you know, my, I placed my faith in him. I leaned into to the love of God. And what I found over life is even though you make a, a, a declaration and a decision in your life that over time you tend to still try to fill your life with other things. Can I get an amen in the congregation? Like you still, you still are like, okay, but also these other things would be nice. And it's easy just to kind of get off track. So however long you've been following Jesus, this is a great prayer to be reminded um, that God is what we're missing. When we feel a deep need, it's, it's, it's God. Um, now, some of you are thinkers and um, you want extra credit with God. So I'm going to give you some extra credit with God. So this is some extra credit reading. God will see you in the dark corners of your room or your house or out on the path reading, and you'll get a star on your chart in heaven if you read one of these books. Just kidding. That's not how he works. Um, and so I, I want to I give you kind of an idea of what these books are. The, the, the one on the far left is, is really one of my favorite books. Uh, it's called Letters from a Skeptic, and it's probably the simplest book to read out of these four. Letters from a Skeptic are simply the letters between a father and a son. The father um, is agnostic, and the son is a believer, and the son basically writes his dad and says, Dad, um, I want to know that my faith foundation is solid, so will you just simply write me all the questions you have and why you don't believe, and I want to respond to those questions. And so it's just the letters between the, the father and the son back and forth. Letters from Skeptics, great, um, fairly short book of letters back and forth. Mere Christianity is a classic C.S. Lewis, Chronicles of Narnia. Chronicles, what? Narnia? Um, Mere Christianity, not an easy book to read, but it's a, it's a really good book. Um, Tim Keller is a pastor in New York, brilliant. Um, he's one that I have to read a couple times to fully grasp what he's saying, but, but brilliant book, Tim Keller. N.T. Wright um, is deep reading. Like when you get to N.T. Wright, it's like he's a scholar that writes scholarly. He tries to, to, to do it for all of us who sometimes think at a lower level. Um, but Simply Christian, I had to read a, a few times to, to really grasp it. But if you want to dig deeper into just some of those questions of is there more to life and like why do bad things happen and can I still be a believer and have a little bit of doubt? Like does doubt mean I'm not a believer? Like all of those kind of questions, these are four um, maybe books to, to pick up. Sound good? Okay. Um, we, we wanted to end uh, our time as, as we begin the journey of Lent um, with communion. Now, Time, hold on just a second. If you didn't pick up your communion elements, don't worry. I'm gonna give you time in just a second when we're all standing, so you don't have to run back there right now. Um, communion is this uh, practice that the church has, has been incorporating into its regular gatherings for a couple thousand years. And um, communion are two simple elements, uh, probably the most basic of elements that were on the table in the ancient world, bread and wine the most basic of elements that would be on the table. And um, what Jesus did is he redefined what these elements, as they practice communion, what they would, would mean or, or, or symbolize. And um, one of them is a piece of bread or a little cracker. And what Jesus said is that this piece of bread will remind you of my body which is broken for you. So when he's crucified and his, his body's broken, that's what the bread symbolizes. And then... The wine or the juice for us, um, the juice would represent his blood, which was poured out on the cross, 
And he said that this would be a, a symbol of the forgiveness of all sin. I mean, that's the good news of God. Like, he forgives everything. How awesome is that? And he said that this would be the new covenant with God. So no longer will you have to strive to meet all the expectations and rules and to do everything. Like, based on the work of Christ, you're adopted into God's family. Oh, my gosh. How awesome is that? I mean, that's, that's what this represents. So that's what we're going to do together. Um, we're going to begin by singing uh, half of this song uh, that speaks the name of Jesus, like just focuses us in on who Jesus is. And so I'm going to invite you to stand, and if you didn't uh, receive the elements, you can go back and grab them. And then halfway through the song, we'll take a break, and we'll take communion together. So Father God, we turn our attention to Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus, and um, I pray that you would help us to know once again, to remember and to lean into the grace that you have for us in the person of Jesus Christ.